thing. And we've got some people upstairs too. Uh, So glad that you've joined us today. It's a beautiful, nice, warm day, and it is in July. Uh, (laughs) But I don't know if you're having that experience, but I'm sometimes not sure what day it is, and sometimes we're not sure what month it is. I think that's somewhat the heat, but it's also... Everything is so different. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. So, so glad that you're with us this morning. We're going to get into our prayer, first of all. And um, I want to encourage you in something. I may talk about it a little bit today. We're, we're trying to, we're adding more and more opportunities for us to communicate together. Because one of the things that happens when we're not seeing one another and able to talk directly with one another is we begin to feel isolated. And that's one of Satan's main tools, is to isolate us and make us feel isolated. And there's some things we can't do right now, um, but there are things we can do, and so we're having more and more of these ways to communicate, not only through our, our regular connect groups, but also through the, this women's Bible study and now a men's Bible study. And there, there's this fellowship that is surrendered, sur- <laughs> it's centered around God's Word, just what he talked about. Everything's got to be based on God's Word, otherwise it gets into our flesh and into our soul, and it will not help us to grow. So I just want to encourage you to be part of those, whatever the opportunities are, and all you've got to do is know how to get online with Zoom and just ask any child you see, and they can tell you how to do that. So we are grateful that this time we're in, that we're going through this, that we do have these means that are available to us so that we can at least see one another's face and we can at least communicate with one another. So these are very, very important. So before we get into the Word, we're going to take uh, a few min- a moment or so right now and we're going to pray. We're, as those of you that have been watching or here for a while know that we are part of an organization or movement called Unite 714. It is literally, literally tens of thousands of churches around the world that have committed every time they're they have a service that they're going to pray the same prayer every week and it's a different prayer each week that they send out to us so this is week 18 my goodness 18? no it's 19 excuse me it's week 19 and uh, it's based on some a scripture I'll read the scripture and then we're going to pray together and you're going to agree with me those of you online maybe you've downloaded it you can get it through our website or unite714.com uh, and it's available through there This is Luke 11, verses 5 through 13, a little long. It says, And he said unto them, Which of you has a friend, and will go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread? For a friend of mine has arriving on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer me from within, saying, Do not bother me. The door has now shut. My children are all in bed. I'm not going to get up and give you anything. But I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, that word means persistent knocking, openness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you? If his son asks him for a fish, instead will give him a snake. If he asks you for an egg, will he give you a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to pray. Agree with me as I go through this prayer, and then we'll just follow up on a couple of other things. Lord, as your people, we have come to the midnight hour. It is an hour when a new day of your presence and your power are dawning, and yet it's still too dark yet to be seen. We come before you both as your beloved people and as your persistent people. We know that you will rise up and give us fresh bread for our hungering world. Although you refer to healing as the children's bread, we ask you today for healing today. We boldly ask you to eradicate COVID-19 and heal the people battling this disease. Jesus, you said, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Today, we go beyond merely asking, but we also seek for the wisdom we need to serve as ambassadors of healing and reconciliation to a world that's broken by division and pain. Use us to bring reconciliation and healing to our fractured cities and nations throughout the message, through the message of the gospel and the power of your Holy Spirit. As our loving Heavenly Father, you promise to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask you. Today we ask for those who do not know how to ask. In fact, we are knocking, even pounding on the gates of heaven for a fresh outpouring of your Spirit in the earth. We will not quit knocking. We will not quit until we hear from heaven and you respond to our cry. The stark needs of our shattered nations drive us to you. In desperation, you alone are the answer. Lord, we, the people of your world, are in dire need. Please hear our desperate cry and send a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, we also continue to pray as you have commanded us in your word for all those that are in leadership and authority over our lives that we may live a quiet and a peaceful life. For the authority that these men and women operate in are ordained by you for the sake of protection and provision for people in this earth today that you love and care for. And so we pray, starting with our president, right on down to our local officials, including our governors. We pray for wisdom and grace. They're facing things they never dreamed they would face, Father. Help them to recognize that they don't have the answer in themselves and that the answer can only come from you. And so, Lord, help them to go to their knees. Help them to turn to men and women who can give them godly counsel as they recognize that things are beyond their natural ability and beyond the ability of our politicians and those that we have. We pray for those, Lord, that are in our medical field, that are on the front line, and those that are seeking for answers to this, this, this virus and everything else that's coming against us. Father, they'll recognize and acknowledge that they cannot do this on their own. We're not smart enough. This is beyond man's ability to grasp and to figure out, but with your wisdom and your grace, you will provide an answer. And so we thank you for that answer, Father. We pray today for our, the, the, the other pastors and other those that lead and oversee the people that are, you've entrusted to them that are precious to you. We pray that you would continue to give them wisdom and discernment as they make decisions regarding the safety and the, and the, and the ongoing purpose of the churches that you have placed them over. And we pray, Father, most of all, that in this hour of difficulty, in this hour of great pressure and great challenge, that the church will rise up and it's take its place and do what you put us here to do. For we are called here for such a time of this. Help us to see beyond the problems, beyond the threats, beyond the uncertainties, and help us to see that you are leading us and guiding us by your Spirit. 
Help us to recognize more than ever our desperate need for one another, that we need one another to encourage us and to, and to challenge us and to keep us focused together and help us to realize more than we ever have before how critical your word is for our lives, for this church and for our lives, to not only read the word, but to have this word living in us and dwelling in us together. And then we begin to do your word together. Father, help us to wake up and realize the time that we are in and how serious this is, the decisions that we need to make. And for these things, we thank you. Now, Father, as we prepare to turn to your word, This is the word that you've given to us. It's not the word of a man. It's not the word of an organization or institutions. But it is, as the Apostle Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, it is the word of God spoken to us. And Father, I have endeavored as best I know how to search my heart and your spirit to know what to share today. And now I entrust this word to you. Father, that you will allow me to only speak what is your will and your words by the anointing of your spirit for he is the one that knows what we need to hear today and we pray today father in agreement that we will all have ears to hear eyes to see and hearts to grasp and understand the word that you have to speak to us today and then give us the grace to begin to live it out for these things we give you thanks in advance In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we've been talking over the last few weeks about something that the Word warns us about, something that the Word tells us is happening and that's going to be significant in the end. And that's to be overcomers. And we've talked about how God has said in His Word that there will come a time, it's in Hebrews chapter 12, when everything in heaven, and that's not heaven where God lives, that's the spiritual atmosphere around this earth, everything in heaven and on the earth will be shaken, so that those things that are shaken are not of God, and the things that remain that are not shaken are of God. And then we began to look and realize we have been given a kingdom of God and it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now that's a nice doctrine, it's a nice theory, it's a nice message to talk about and teach in other times than I have. But it's critical today because we are obviously living in a time where many things that we've learned to trust in, many things that we've learned that are a basis of our security, many things we've learned to to hope in are being shaken. We've put great hope in in the medical profession. And I'm so thankful for the medical profession. We have some doctors that are, are and have been part of this fellowship today. And we are so grateful. If it were not for the medical profession, most of us would be dead. And so we need them. We're grateful for the wisdom that God gives them. But any good doctor, just as any good scientist, will recognize that there are limits to what they know and that we can get into a position and we are in that position where they are, they are discovering things that they didn't know before and having to use their best efforts to learn what the answers are to these things. And we that are Christians that know God's Word recognize that these answers ultimately will come from God because all wisdom, 
true wisdom only comes down from God, from the, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness. And so how do we as Christians learn to live? And I've shared with you this before, and I did this in the prayer we just prayed. God's purpose for you, God's goal for you and me, is not to survive. If we're just surviving, then we're not going to make, we're not going to do what we're here to do. In fact, there are not promises for surviving. The promises in the Word are for those that overcome. And we, I mentioned to you before, there are over 20 promises in the Word of God, 20 warnings. Some of them are promises to those that overcome, and some are warnings to those that don't overcome. So this is serious. This is a wake-up call. I've talked several weeks ago. It's about an alarm going off and startling you that we've got to wake up. It's time to get the sleepiness out of our eyes and to get up out of bed and get into the day. Well, this is a new day that's dawning. I'm not sure prophetically what this is. This may be the beginning of sorrow. I don't know. I just know something's changed. I, I was sharing with somebody the other day. I had a dream back in, I think it was when we were on vacation in Florida. I, and I don't have prophetic dreams. I had a dream of, of the economy suddenly changing drastically. I had a dream of things suddenly changing and I didn't know what it meant. And it was one of those dreams where I woke up and realized that was something significant. And it was, not many, it was not more than a week after that that this began to hit. So the whole point is this. This is different. This is a wake-up call. And we talked last week about learning to be sober. That doesn't just mean don't drink alcohol. That means alert, awake, all our senses on edge so that we can be alert to hear what God's telling us to do and to keep our eyes on Him. Many of us have been lazy in fact, I would suggest probably all of us have been lazy to some degree, and that includes even me. Not as diligent as we need to be. The Word of God is full of warnings, full of challenges that we listen to half-heartedly because some, we've been able to survive without actually fully doing them. And one of the verses God began to alert me to at the, in last fall was in Proverbs 4, where it says, my son, attend to my words. Hey, okay, I read the Bible every day. No, no, attend to my words. There was an urgency about that. Incline your ear to my sayings. That means intentionally make sure you're listening to what I'm saying to you. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in front of your eyes. Many things are in front of our eyes every day. And obviously when you're driving, when you're working, you have to, have, you have to be looking at something. But he's, what he's talking about is don't let your attention be diverted from it. For their life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. And then the next verse, verse 23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. We know that verse. We've read that verse. I preach that verse. But how diligently do we practice that verse? I suspect there are other things in our life we're more diligent about. I know one thing that we're more diligent about, that's eating. I'm not looking at anybody in particular, but I can tell that we like to eat and we're diligent about it. And we'll make sure we get the f three meals a day or whatever meals you normally eat. And, 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 and we, uh, we're, we're, diligent about, we're diligent about breathing. I know you're all diligent about it because you're here this morning. 
And so you take it for granted. But if it gets threatened, you'll do everything that you can to make sure you've got that next breath. So, but, but we're not the same diligent. We're not as diligent about guarding our heart and being careful about what we put in our heart and not just being careful about what we put being intentional about what we put in our heart because the rest of that verse says, for out of your heart flow all the issues of life. So if you're dealing with fear right now, I don't mean just you have moments of fear. I mean if you're feeling gripped with fear, if you're fighting fear, then that's simply because you've not guarded your heart. Because you don't have to live in fear because the Bible says over 365 times, fear not. And God would not tell us to do something that it's impossible to do. This wasn't my message, but this is where God got taking us this morning. So the point is, why have we not been diligent about these things? Because we've been getting by without being diligent. And this is how we think. I know this is how I think. Well, okay. I got by without that. That's what people are finding in other parts of the country right now. Well, you know, we got by without wearing masks. We got by without, you know, without abiding by all these rules. And now what happens is this stuff begins to rise up again and people begin to get afraid. But if people just were diligent to do what we've been told to do, then those things would not happen to the way they happen. So we have to wake up and realize things have changed. And Satan lulls us into sleep. He lulls us into being sleepy. This is why we have to be very much on guard in this time we're in to be careful to not, we're going to talk about later on, not forsake our assembling together. Because we need each other. And we can get by and say, well, I'm getting by and I'm, you know, we're doing okay. But we don't know what's around the corner. See, God loves us. God is always working to prepare us so that we're ready for what is to come. I look back over the last year and I see things that God dealt with me about, some of which I listened to more than others, some of which I heeded more than others. But I realize now all of those things were to prepare me for now, not just for my life and not just for my family, but to lead this body through this difficult time. Because I don't know what to do. I'm not that smart. I've never dealt with things like this before. But I have learned this. I have learned that God is faithful. I have learned that God, the Spirit of God in me, will prepare me if I'm willing to listen and do what He says to do. He's always preparing us so that we're ready when things happen, so that we're ready to step into it and, he, and cooperate with Him to do what He's put us here to do. So I'm sharing that with you, because even now these messages are to prepare us. Not to be, see, when you're prepared, you're not afraid. When I had to step into this role 11, over 11 years ago, I, I never dreamed to be in this role. I didn't want to be in this role. I was in a stage of life when I thought I was going to begin to ease out and to slow some things down. And this, I don't want to get into why, but I suddenly was put into this position, and I knew the moment I stepped into this position, 
everything I'd gone through in my life was to prepare me for this. And so, although I was overwhelmed by how am I going to lead this church through a crisis? How am I going to lead this church? There was a, the economy was falling apart at the time. How am I going to lead this church? I didn't know the answer, but I knew that if, if, because I had done what God told me to do, I had allowed Him to prepare me, so His judgment was, I was prepared. Because I submitted and allowed Him to do in my life what He wanted to do in me to train me and to prepare me. And that's a valuable lesson going forward. So whatever it is you're having to overcome in your life right now, whatever the challenges may be in your family in just dealing with this stuff that we're going through, whatever those challenges may be, God is used, wants to use them as an opportunity to train you and to equip you so that you're ready to take the next step. And He is faithful to do that. He is faithful to do that. So that's a long-winded way of the introduction that, that we are called to overcome. And as I've shared with you, you don't have to be, a, uh, you don't have to be the, the, the swiftest, you know, the, the sharpest pencil in the, in, the, in the pencil box to figure out if we have to overcome, there's got to be things we have to overcome. And if we have to overcome them, it's not something I want to overcome, but I have to overcome it. Everybody follow me on that? So there are obstacles, there's challenges, there's pressures, there's tribulation. But it's so critical how we respond to that and how we handle that. So we left off, we're going to start this time in John 16. And Jesus is again, we've used this example before. Jesus, as He began His ministry with His disciples, He sat them down and He showed them the temple. And He said, this temple at some point is going to, fall, is going to be shaken and come apart. And that temple was made of huge, enormous stones. Some of you have seen a few of them that are left. And in, in 70 AD, it fell apart. And now Jesus is sitting down with His disciples preparing them again that their world's going to be shaken because He's now going to leave them and everything He started is, and all the opposition that's come against Him is now going to come against them and He's going to leave. It's as if He started it and now He's leaving. <laughs> but He's not leaving them alone. So let's pick up, we're going to look at this, uh, verse 31. Jesus answered them and said, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming and has now come that you will be scattered. Your life's going to get shaken up, you're going to panic, and you're going to run back home. Each to his own, and you will leave me alone. This is so important if you're feeling alone right now. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I want you to listen to this very carefully because he's talking at a, at a human emotional level. He's basically saying, I'm about to leave you. Things are going to change for these last three and a half years. I've led you into all kinds of challenges, but I've been there with you. And when you got into trouble, I was there to rescue you. So when you were in storms and it looked like you were going to sink, I'm the one that spoke to the storm. I'm the one that dealt with the problem. 
when they were going to stone us and leave us for dead, I walked through the crowd. When they came to us with challenges, I'm the one that gave them the answer. When you were confused, when you were lonely, I'm the one you came and talked to because I was right there with you. But I'm leaving you now. And he had to leave because his leaving was what allowed God to take this to the next level. They had to go through this change. This change was necessary in order for a greater blessing to come. So anytime God's leading us through a difficult change, anytime He's leading us through a challenge, there is something on the other side of that challenge that's worth the process of going through it. And those of you ladies who have ever given birth to a child understand that process very well. And Jesus, in fact, refers to that in one of His teachings about this. So as we're going to talk down the road, it's important to keep your eyes on what's on the other side of the challenge. And so Jesus is preparing them, and what He's saying to them is, you're now going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna think as if you can't handle this, and you're going to panic, and you're going to go back home. So there's good news here. If you panic, and you feel like you're falling apart, that's not the end. And He said, and you're going to all leave Me. But I'm not alone because I have the Father. So what Jesus is teaching them is what's allowing me to go through all that I'm facing now with you leaving me, what's allowing me to go through all that I'm going to face, which is the cross and the beating He went through before. I can go through all of those things not because I've got your support, but because of the Father who is in me. He's the source of my strength. It's my union with Him. I can show you other places we can look, but I don't take the time. That He talks about the Father's in me is the one that's done the works. And I'm in the Father. In other words, we're one. The Father and I are joined together. I'm in Him and He's in me. And He's what's unshakable in me. He's what sees me through. He is my strength. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things, verse 33, I have spoken to you, look at this, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And in that verse is the key to overcoming in this life right now. These things I've spoken to you. He's just said, you're going to leave me. You're going to get shaken. I'm going to be left alone, but I'm not shaken because the Father is in me and I am in Him. So notice what he says here. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Now if you've been a Christian for a while, you know this verse. But we don't read this verse correctly. The way we read this verse is, from me you will have peace. Being near me you will have peace. I have peace to give you, and if you ask me for my peace... I will give it to you. That's how we read this verse. 
But that's not what this verse says. What does it say? In me you will have peace. Because the peace is in him. His peace was because he was in the Father. Our peace comes from living our life in Him. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And in the world, so if you're living in the world, if the world is your identity, if the world is your security, if the world is your resource, you're going to have trouble. But if you're living your life in me, you will have peace in the middle of a world full of trouble. I used this example last week. It's, it's the best one I can think of. Of last year, it was almost exactly a year ago, when we took the, the trip that she dreamt about for years, and I'd saved the money up for years to go to England for two weeks. We got on that plane. I remember sitting in the plane, you know, and the sitting at the plane at Logan Airport at sea level, basically sea level. The atmosphere in the, in the airplane was basically the same as the atmosphere outside. But once we took off, everything changed. The plane was rising until it got to an altitude of 40,000 feet, a speed of over 5,500 miles an hour. And I remember some point on the screen, you could, at movies and things like that, but the screen you could turn on that would show you where you were and it would show you what the outside conditions were. It showed me we were at 40,000 feet, we were traveling at 500 and some miles an hour, and the temperature outside was 76 degrees below zero. We talked about last week, there's no way on our strength and ability I can get us to England. I can't drive us to England, I can't swim us to England, I can't walk us to England. So in order to get to England, I've got to get in something that has a greater ability than I have. I've got to get in something that has the ability to overcome the pressure of gravity that holds us down. I had to get, we had to get in something that had the power and the aerodynamics to overcome the force of gravity. We had to get in something that could travel infinitely faster than we could travel. We had to get in something that could travel in an atmosphere that was totally hostile to our bodies and our survival. But because we were in the plane, we could go places and be in places and do things we could not do on our own. If the door of that plane suddenly flew open and we were sucked out, I would not have had the same peace I had sitting buckled into that seat. I had peace, we had peace, because we were in the plane that could get us where we need to get us. In the world outside it was hostile, but in the plane we were safe and we had peace. So I want you to learn to transfer that concept over to what Jesus is telling us. Because he goes on to tell us, we're not going to look at this this morning. He is all, excuse me, he's already talked to them in chapter 15 of abiding in him. Of abiding in him. Those of you that have been here for not long enough and those of you that are familiar with a lot of the Word of Faith teaching knows that a lot of the teachings based on 
what we have because we're in Christ. But very seldom do we hear teaching about what it means to be in Christ. We taught about the benefits of being in Christ. It was the supper we had when they served us a nice supper with a nice warm cloth. It was, there were benefits of being in the plane. But I've heard very little teaching about what it means to live my life abiding in Christ. And we're going to talk about that going forward. Because Jesus' all of His promises are as we abide in Him. So here's a promise. If you want peace... That peace is found by living your life abiding in Him. And here's the challenge. Most of us don't really know what it means to abide in Him. That's a hard concept to grasp because we're not in each other. We're, we, can be with, we know what it's like to be with people. We know what it's like to be around people. We know what it's like to know people. But he's talking about something different. He's talking about being in Him. And then he goes on to talk about him being in us. So that requires something that the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 12, renewing our mind. Renewing the mind is simply the process of changing how you think about things. From the way we were trained in this world to think about them, the way we're being trained by media and social media to think about it, to thinking instead along the lines of what God says about it. And as we renew our mind and begin to think about who we are in Christ and what does that mean, who it is, that, what it means that Christ is in us, what have we been given to do, as we begin to think, look at these situations in terms of those, it changes how you see them. And this is the process God's had me on for this year and part of last year. And so I want to begin to lead you into that understanding. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 4 for those of you that are doing this. He's already talked about... Uh, well, no, let me see. No... We'll go back to verse 1. Beloved, so he's talking to Christians, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. Verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. So not only are we in Christ, but He is in us by the Holy Spirit. And the one that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. In fact, we just read that the one that's in us is the one that has already overcome the world. They're of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, and he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. And by this we know the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. Okay. So not only are we in Him, but He is in us, and the one that's in us is greater than persecution, than trouble, or anything that the world can throw at you. 
The trouble that comes against us has its source in this Antichrist. And Jesus has overcome him. So, how do we make this a reality in our lives? It's great to hear this on Sunday morning. It's great to stand up and say, praise God, or sit there and try to stay awake. It's great to hear this, but how do we make this a part of our lives? How do we learn in this time that we're living in? How do we learn to live a life that is overcoming? That is overcoming. Well, I just said Romans 12, 2 is the key. It's learning to change how you think. And let me say this up front. That doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen because you go to church. It doesn't even happen because you read your Bible. That's important. It doesn't just happen because you pray. That's important. You have to make a determined decision, an act of your will, that I am going to change the way I think about things to the way God thinks about them, the way the Word of God, the Word of God says. So that automatically means you've got to get in this Word and find out what it says. And we are living in a society, in a world, where we are totally without excuse. I carry around, and you've got phone, i got my phone, I carry this flat piece of plastic that has on it 34 Bibles. Some of you have phones, I've got it on my phone too. That has search capacities, that all kinds of things, you, you can Google things about the Bible and find them. In fact, that's faster than my own software. So we, the, the ways to find out what does the Bible say, but the most important thing is not just read it, but then you've got to get it, sew it into your heart. You've got to get it down in there. And that requires something, a four-letter word that we don't like to hear. W-O-R-K, work. It doesn't just happen. This is why we can't be lazy. Because we're now talking about survival. We're not talking about how happy we are, we're talking about survival, overcoming, and we're going to see the promises God's made to us if we will overcome. And you alone decide whether you'll do that. It's not the devil that decides whether you'll overcome. It's not the, c- the circumstances that decide whether you'll overcome. It's not, well, COVID-19's out there, I guess I can't. No! You're the only one that decides whether you're going to overcome or not. Everything you need to is right here and right here with one another. Praise God, Pastor John. That's good preaching. I needed to hear that. Thank you. Okay. All right. I'll do that. All right. I'm just kidding. First John chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is whoever believes Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him in other words whoever loves him loves the father who begot him by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome for whatever this is what I want to get to for whatever whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Now it sounds as if it happens automatically, but it goes on. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he that has overcome the world, but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It is our faith in our union 
with the one who overcome the, came the world that enables us to overcome. So how is this going to happen? How am I going to, how is this going to get lived out in my life? It starts with a step of faith. And we'll get into that next time. Because faith is what allows you to believe that you are in Christ and that Christ is in you. How can a holy Son of God be living in this unholy mess? And how can I, with the mess that I am and my life is, be living in that kind of union with God Almighty, with the Holy Son of God? How can that happen? That's why it requires faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross. Faith in what God's Word says about you. We sang songs about that today. I am who you say I am. I don't feel like it many mornings I get up. I get up morning sometimes, I don't feel saved. But what's that got to do with it? This generation that we live in, the younger generation, but all of us, are getting wooed by our emotions. Everything's based on how it feels. Does it feel good? Does it feel right? And part of my concern for where the church is today, <clears throat> internationally, especially with the younger generations, it's all based on feeling and emotion. So their worship is all jumping and shouting and praising God, and that's good. We need to praise God. We ought to jump and shout. But when you come down after your jump, what are you standing on? Because if you're all based on emotion, and God loves me, and I love God, and God's wonderful, and God's good, what happens when things don't look like God loves you, even though He does? What happens when you, things are falling apart around you? Now your emotions are going to take you in the wrong direction. So we better not be building our lives on our emotions, but be building our lives on God's Word, and that requires an exercise of faith. And this is why we're going to look at this. So let's go on, and this is kind of a, a, a segue into what we'll talk about, which is faith. So he's saying here that if we believe, whoever believes in Jesus Christ, that is the Son of God, has overcome. But here's, believing is not a mental belief. I believe in all kinds of things with my mind. But it's what you believe with your heart that matters. And your heart refers to the commitment that you've made. I've told this story before when I talked, taught the course, uh, which I did in a school of ministry we had and I've done here, on renewing the mind and the, the, the importance of your will. Uh, just very quickly, the Bible teaches you're made up of three parts. Your body, which is the part that you're trying to keep awake right now. Um, your spirit, which is the real you on the inside of you, and then you have your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, your personality. And your soul, those three parts, the center of your soul is your will. Your will is the part of you that determines what you're going to do. And I had a basketball coach that, that taught, I watched him teach this in high school this principle, because he was teaching his players how to, how to be, uh, to, how to be in, on, in defensive role and not be fooled by the player that was coming down the court with the ball. 
He said, they'll come down and a good player will begin to fake over here with the ball as if he's going to pass it or go over there. If your eyes are on the ball, you're going to go where he faked, but he'll pull the ball back. He can fake with his head over here and pass the ball over there. If you're looking at his head, you're going to go over here when the ball goes over there. There's one part he can fake with his foot, but there's one part of him he can't fake with, and that's the center of gravity here. Because wherever that center of gravity goes, he will go. And the center of gravity in you and in me is our will. That's the part of you Satan's after. He's trying to break your will, break all the things around your will, your mind, your thinking, your body, wear you down and break you down so he has access to woo your will where he wants it to go. God will not overpower your will, but he will woo your will, he will influence your will because it's a part of you God made in His image, is His will, your will. The freedom that you have to decide for yourself what you're going to do. And God will not override that and take it away from you. If you make the decision that you want to go to hell, He'll plead with you all the way to the gates, but He will honor the decision that you make. He gave His Son's life up so that you don't have to make that decision but He'll honor your decision right up to the gates of hell. So our will is the critical part of us that we have to be aware of. And most of us live our lives without thinking about our will, and yet we're exercising it all the time. So when He talks about that believing with your heart, not your head, that believing is a commitment that you make. So when I truly believe in someone, I'm making a commitment to them. And when you believed in Christ, it doesn't mean I believe... Okay, he's the Son of God, yep, and he died to pay for the sins. Yep, he did. Okay, I I believe in him. No, no, no. It's when I give my heart to him. Just as I did to her over 54 years ago, I gave my heart to her. It's a commitment you make to be in him. And so he's talking here about, about that. Okay. Let's look at some other scriptures here. Hebrews chapter 10. Now the book of Hebrews was a letter written by... Oops. A letter written by... Um, where is it here? A letter written by... Uh, let's see, I found, lost it here. Okay a letter written by either Paul or was written by the Holy Spirit to, to Jewish believers that had gone through somewhat of what we're experiencing now. They had been persecuted. What drove them, separated them, was persecution. There was not a shutdown. There was not a COVID-19. They were persecuted and they were scattered in something called the dispersion. They were scattered into Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And, and as a result, they lost contact with the mother church in Jerusalem. They were losing contact with each other. And when you lose contact with other believers, there's a tendency to drift slowly back to the way things were. And there, the whole book of Hebrews is written to help them not drift back to the, what they used to believe, which was to be based on the law. And so this book is a warning towards the end a correction towards the end to not do that. So 
we're in part of that. So that, I want you to have that background to what he's going to say here. So, Hebrews 10.32. So he's warning them. He's just warning what happens if you fall back. If you get to the point where you just give up your faith and you go back into the way you used to live your life, you just give up because that's what Satan's after. He's after wearing you down, getting you discouraged, getting you separated from other believers. Remember I talked last week about what it's like, you know, the world is, a, is like a, a stream that's flowing in a direction. We went to Matthew 7, you know. And, but the problem, it's an easy stream. You don't have to do anything. You just float, you just float along with it. Just go right on, on down the stream. The problem is, Jesus said, it, it leads to a waterfall into an eternity in hell. It leads to destruction. And you can't do anything about it because you don't have a rowboat that has oars. But the moment you come to Christ and He comes to live in you and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, you now have the oars, but you're in the same place you were when He came into your life. You're still moving downstream. So you have to turn the boat around. That's what repentance is. And now we begin to row upstream. You're still in the boat. You're in the same river but you're in a boat now that has oars to help you go upstream. But it's work. And while you're rowing upstream, there are other people that gave up their oars and let them go, and they're floating downstream, and they're going to try to encourage you to come with them because that always makes them feel better about where they are. And this is one of the reasons we need each other. Because I may be rowing upstream nice and strong and I may see you getting tired and sitting there like this with your oars in the boat and you're starting to drift back. And I wrote, no, 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 pick your oars up. That's what we're doing this morning. Pick up your oars. Here, come along with me. I'll help you. Row with me. And if you really get stuck, I'll throw you a rope and I'll help pull you along until you can get your strength back. This is why we need each other. So desperately. But if you don't realize you're in a boat where the natural flows in the wrong direction, you'll get re- realize what's going on when you get tired. You won't realize what's going on when you get discouraged. You, what's getting, what, it, it is a subtle weapon of the enemy to get you to pull your oars in the boat and give up and become weary in well-doing. And what you need to know is what's at stake if you do that because you start drifting. The problem is the closer it gets to the waterfall, the faster the current gets and the harder it is to turn it around. The easiest way to turn it around is the moment you realize what you've done. <gasps> I'm let it go. I'm gonna, okay, now I've got to start again. It's easier, but the longer you go, the more used to you get to not rowing, the more used to you get to not to skipping church, the more used you get to skipping your Bible, the more used you get to skipping prayer. Well, I made it. I made it okay. I'm okay. Not realizing we're slowly being wooed in the wrong direction. Let's keep going here. So he's encouraging them. He said, but recall the formal days after which you were illuminated, you became saved. You endured a great struggle of sufferings. He's reminding them of what they've already been through. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations. See, what they were fighting wasn't a pandemic. They were fighting persecution, which is not what we're dealing with here. Partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. 
For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you had a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So what he's saying to them, he said, remember what you've already been through. Sometimes that's what I've got to go back. God, look at all, when I'm tempted to just, oh, I'm so tired of this, I'm so tired. Look, look at all we've come through. God, you faithfully brought us through this. Look at all we've come through. Don't quit now. <laughs> Don't quit just at the edge. So many, some of you have been standing in faith for something and just, ah, this is never going to happen. You'll have, until you get to heaven, you have no idea how close you were. When that pressure comes on you to quit, that's coming from an enemy that knows if you don't quit, you'll win. So he wants you to quit. He's very deceptive. You're tired. People around you are quitting. Look, nobody's showing up. Nobody's doing this. All to get our eyes off of the one who we're in. Verse 35. And this is the message today. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Notice it requires endurance, but there's a promise that you'll receive. Verse 37, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Remember, that's how we overcome the world. It is even our faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul, God says, takes no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. I thought we're saved by faith in Christ. Yes, but it's a continuing faith in Christ. And so I want to read a couple of scriptures to you out of the Amplified. Ephesians 6 verse 10. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord, be empowered through your union with Him. Remember, you're not in that rowboat alone. You're not doing this in your strength. You've got the Holy Spirit then in there rowing with you. He will not row for you, but He will row with you. But that strength comes from being in Christ. Be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with Him. Draw your strength from Him, that strength which, ha- which is His, which His boundless might provides. And then Philippians 4.13 in the Amplified. This is the one in the New King James says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look what it says here. I have strength for all things. That includes overcoming this. That includes finishing our course. I have strength for all things. Now the one that wrote this, this letter that Paul wrote, he wrote from prison. And not prisons like we have today. It was a hole in the ground. He wrote this from prison. In fact, some of his most powerful letters were written from prison for doing what he was supposed to do. So prison couldn't stop the gospel. 
Prison couldn't stop Paul from accomplishing what he's here to do. And COVID-19 cannot stop the church from doing what it's been put here to do if we're willing to overcome. So the man that wrote these words didn't write them from his office at a theological seminary writing some theological doctrine or proposition. This man wrote it from his experience. So when he goes to Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, he says, For I am persuaded. It was by his life experience that he was persuaded that neither death nor life nor principalities nor powers nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor any other created thing shall ever be able to separate you us from the love of God that's been given to Christ Jesus. He knew that because he'd gone through all those things and seen how faithful God's love was for him. In fact, you will not know how much God loves you until you watch Him bring you through the challenges that are facing us. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. It's not His strength. Paul at one point in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he, in chapter 1 he despaired of his life. So this isn't how strong Paul is. Chapter 11, he said it got so, 12, he said he got so bad, he said three times, I, three times I went to God and said, can you get, it was a messenger of Satan, not sickness and disease, it was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him, to wear him down, to discourage him. He said three times I cried out to God, will you get this guy off my back? And God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. God wasn't saying no. God was saying, I give you the ability to overcome him. I don't have time to go into it, but if God had just destroyed Satan at that point, then what Christ came to do here would not have worked. So Paul writes this, oh, and then he says, he says, he says, for my grace is, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says, ah, I got it now. I will glory in this trouble I'm going through because I realize now when I am weak, He in me is strong. Therefore, I will glory in trouble because His, His strength is then made perfect, complete in me. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through Him who infuses inner strength into me, I am self-sufficient uh, in Christ's sufficiency. So how do we do this? It's faith that enables us to endure to the end because in the end, there's a reward for doing it. If we don't endure, His soul takes no pleasure. And there's destruction if we don't. So there's an incentive to endure. There's an incentive to finish our course. There's an incentive. And I'd love to tell you that's not in there. I'd love to tell you because God's loving and God's grace, it doesn't matter what we do, but I can't tell you that when God's Word says what it says. And, and the writer of Hebrews writes that to them as a wake-up call 
wake up. There's much at stake with whether we learn how to overcome. So what we're going to begin to look at when we proceed with this, we're going to begin to look at what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean not just to think about it, talk about it, sing about it in church? What does it mean when I leave those doors? What does it mean when I either go to a restaurant, go take out, when I go home and face whatever I left at home when I come back, came here? What is it when I got to get up tomorrow and go to work or Zoom work or whatever you do? What is it tomorrow when I got to wake up and I don't have a job because I've lost my job in this? What is it when I wake up tomorrow and begin to face the quote-unquote reality that's in this world right now? What, do, what does it mean to be in Him and overcome through that? That's what we're going to begin to look out. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the love that you've lavished upon us. And that love is not just something you did for us 2,000 years ago when Jesus died, was buried, and was raised from the dead. It's something you do for us every moment of every day. Your love is lavished upon us. Your grace is lavished upon us. But you're a father, and a father who loves us beyond anything we can imagine. And because you're a father, not only will you comfort us and assure us, but you're a father who will tell us the truth. You're a father who will prepare us. You're a father who will challenge us. But you're also a father who will enable us. And so we learn to turn to you today. Father, you have chosen to put us here not just this church, but us individually here, in this place, in this world, in this time, for your purposes. And we're facing opposition, we're facing challenges, we're facing things we don't know how to deal with, we're facing things that would wear us down and confuse us, we're facing obstacles we don't know how to overcome. And now we hear we have to overcome, but Father, because you love us, You've not put us in this place without giving us the ability and the direction to do just that. Father, help us to recognize that as we begin to learn how to walk this out, that we will come into a greater knowledge of our Lord and a greater knowledge of the love that He has for us and that You have for us a greater strengthening of our faith and a greater confidence and a greater boldness. That our lives are in your hands and you are directing us and you are preparing us and you are leading us even when we don't see it and we don't understand. It's not just that you're making a way for us through the world. You're bringing us and leading us and you're coming with us. And so, Father, my prayer for everyone today here and in the sound of my voice that in what they face this week, what they face today and tomorrow, that you would strengthen them by your Spirit and their inner man, that Christ may dwell, live, abide in our hearts by faith, that being rooted and grounded in that love, we might come to know together with all the saints, the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know by experience Experience the love of Christ that passes understanding 
so that we personally and as a church, as a body, may be filled up with all of your fullness. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, be the power that's in us to make that change to the glory of your church in Christ's name. Father, I pray right now for anybody that's here or in the sound of my voice that doesn't have that confidence. They don't know for sure that they are in Christ. Maybe they've known about Him. Maybe they've been in churches before that talk about Him.